Welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, Mr. Mike Theobald. Andy, you are pure energy tonight, man. <laughs> and also, someone who's only going to compliment that energy, Mr. Terry Chapantama. Mate, uh, like I said earlier, mate, this is, this, we'll call this pod survival mode. Like, this is... Um, what have I got here? I've got apple and elderflower, white grape and elderflower, and I've got Pepsi Max with a bit of Ribena thrown in. Can you imagine um, how disappointed everyone's going to be that it's not Italian brandy? Mate, I've still got alcohol in me from last night. Do you know what I mean? That's still, like, I can't, I can't stand up. Like, I'm just, I'm just sat here now going, please, please don't make me stand up. And this, this is about our third attempt at recording something, that we've sort of binned it off because of hangovers and getting older true and apologies for not being more professional guys like i i genuinely left my house with the intention of not drinking yesterday my first two drinks were lemonade and then i don't know what happened well genuinely because i think that might be rehypno or something like that and your lemonade no, no, oh god like i had two lemonades and then i just started smashing vodka and coke i don't know why in the same way, I had to go and pick up my car from the pub today because I'd driven over to go and meet some friends for dinner with every intent of driving home and then just left my car there and didn't drive home and carried on drinking and te- sort of treating this Christmas, as I said to Andy, like an entire stag do for about 10 days. Uh, it's less Milton Keynes or Benidorm behaviour. I, I, oh, yeah. yeah. And and the thing is, for for the younger listeners, um, I don't you know I don't know if we've got young listeners anymore with the length of time we've been going. But for the younger listeners, it gets harder when you get older. Jesus, 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 um, Jesus. FYI, Terry, I will actually do the um the filing the upload if you want me to. I'll um yeah, I just thought to myself. I mean, I knew I always knew that to some degree I was surplus to requirements on this podcast. But if I don't do the one thing that I always did, in addition to not having watched any boxing and also not really knowing anything more about boxing than I did when we did it before, what is my use? Well, part of your use is to cut this this part of the fucking podcast out because that's the most boring conversation we've ever had. No, no, do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what? Doing that. What, what, what Andy White is basically saying at this point to our 3,500 billion listeners is this. He doesn't want it to sound shit like last time. <laughs> he doesn't trust me not to do that. Yeah, well, I did cross my mind, if I'm honest, but there you, there go. you go. See, the truth, the truth, you can't, you can't, you can't kid a kid in there. I knew what was coming. <laughs> but your comment yeah. there about not watching any boxing, White, I mean, to sort of vaguely get us on topic, like, you and I haven't really talked about it this year. Have you not watched? I know you're sort of hyped for Fury Usyk in February. Outside of that, yeah. 
have you not consumed anything much? No, I've. I don't know really. I, don't, I haven't really reflected upon it too much. I feel like I feel so. There was a stage when we were doing the bot when we were doing the podcast that I was consuming boxing in spite of the fact that I didn't, you know, not regularly, but in spite of the fact that there wasn't anything that really excited me. So I've always, I've never hidden from the fact that I get sort of invigorated by heavyweight, big heavyweight bouts, right? Like most of Joe public that consume boxing, I guess. Um, but I'd watch a Lomachenko fight or I'd watch, you know, um, I'd watch other other bouts and we you know, got to Manchester with you boys and watch whatever that weren't necessarily heavyweight fights. <clears throat> Not that I was doing that through gritty teeth or anything, but it wasn't something that came naturally interesting to me. I'd find other things interesting about it and I haven't really had to get stuck into narratives. However, on the complete flip of that, now it's almost like even when something that would normally invigorate my interest just I can't even bring myself like fuck you boxing. You've got like almost like um it's like a scorned lover. Like, no, you fucked me before. I'm not interested. Uh so I didn't watch the AJ fight. Uh I, I just it just wasn't on my radar. Boxing was just I feel so fucking frustrated that even if I do watch if I do watch <coughs> a good fight, say, I'm gonna watch it and I go, you know what, I really enjoyed that. And then it'd be like what, where's the next fight to watch? Oh, I've got to wait six months again. It's almost like I don't want to get back into that cycle again and just being eternally frustrated with negotiations and, you know, whatever. So I haven't even tuned in for the fights that I genuinely would normally have consumed. But yeah, you're right. At the moment, I'm just looking forward to hoping that Fury and Usyk happen, happens. But I can't get away from the fact that it's not going to. So I can't even get that excited for that because I got. I reckon we've got about two weeks until we find out that oh, I know Usyk's got a fucking leg tumor that he's going to get over in miraculously in six months when he fights fucking Ziggy Zamalov from fucking Romania or whatever and you know, whatever. It, the point I'm trying to make is I feel like would it won't happen and then I'm back to square one anyway. So, and the thing is, I'd say this: I think you're the what you're saying there's a sentiment for most boxing fans where they're almost like we've once we stepped away from the sport we weren't going to step back like promoters genuinely think they can bring these guys back to boxing i don't think you can because life gets in the way eventually and then you just don't have the time or the capacity to do it anymore it's just like when i watch any other sport it's a schedule right i could miss uh, a football match and i'll catch the next football match or you know, I appreciate that they're more saturated than um, than boxing is typically um, in terms of like interesting big fights and interesting big matches or whatever. Um, but if the sport actually got itself together, if there was like the equivalent in boxing of the Super League and suddenly was like, right, here we go, it's a big revamp. And at the very least, we can guarantee top level quality boxing every three weeks or whatever i'd probably even settle for that three weeks four weeks a month perhaps that'd be like okay i can get behind this and then i can i can make peace with the fact that in the middle i'll get on board with the narratives now in truth i know from before i did the podcast 
the very, very beginning when me and Martin were talking about boxing, I was like, do you know what? I'd like to do a podcast just because I'd like to know more about boxing because I find it hard to just, I, I, I don't know anything about it. It's not. And, and now, you're wishing, now you wish you never had. It's just, I, I just, I, to be honest, it's just, it's, I wish there was more quality boxing that I could watch, if I'm honest, because I enjoyed those evenings where you would sit down with that anticipation for watching those big fights. And I remember back 2017, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, because your memories are better than mine. But I think we did a podcast in 2017. And Terry was like, I think this will be the best boxing gear we'll, have, we'll ever have or, or something along those lines. And then I was like, well, yeah, what about AJ Wilder? I think it was at the time. And Terry was like, at least 2021, 2022. And I was like, fuck off, that's fucking miles away. <laughs> and we're still not there, and it's about to be 2024. And the problem is, it will never happen. <laughs> yeah, the problem is, all those, all those names we were talking about, so I was thinking about this earlier, all those names we were talking about when recording regularly, they're all on the way out. They're all on the sort of exit to the sport yeah. now. So the likes of Wilder getting beaten by Joseph Parker last week... And they're still trying to regurgitate the narrative somewhere that Joshua and Wilder will meet in the future. Nobody cares at this. Like, <laughs> nobody cares. I, I fail to believe anyone yeah. would sit and pay 20 quid for Joshua Wilder now. Like, the Saudis have managed to strip the value out of these fights. Not that it's their fault, but, like, they managed to put together a heavyweight card last week. I didn't watch it. I was out with my family. It was too close to Christmas. I had stuff going on on a Saturday night. But they've managed to sort of accidentally strip the value at a point where they're sinking all this money in. They've ironically, like, bombed the product. Um, I wonder if it's deliberate. Down. By waiting it for it to marinate, they've just been extracting and extracting and extracting, and it's basically watered it down eventually because whilst they were marinating, i.e., trying to squeeze as much juice out of every single fight. Look, Wilder versus Johnny Blue Pants. And then and then he loses to Joseph Parker, who in this scenario is Johnny Blue Pants. Like Joseph, everyone knows Joseph Parker's about. And so you go, okay, he's beating Wilder. What does that tell me? Oh, it tells me that Wilder probably knock out loads of people, but it also tells me like, what the fuck is wrong with Wilder? Is he spent? I don't know. What's I mean I'd be interested to hear his every take on that. Like I just thought, what the fuck? Is that because is that because Wilder just just couldn't do one of his miraculous punches and was utterly useless because he couldn't do that? I, I, but it just kind of it takes that jeopardy out of a fight with AJ. All right, he can still knock him out, but it's just to perceive him as an unstoppable force and only Fury had the key to that. And Fury's the best boxer in the world. There was still something in it, but by squeezing it and squeezing it and squeezing it and squeezing the life out, I'm just like oh. I agree with you, Martin. I I wouldn't pay twenty quid for to watch those two. No. It's just like. And AJ's fucking, who the fuck is AJ? It's like I jumped into an AJ suit and then started trying to be a boxer. It's like, anyone could be a boxer. All right, I'll make you AJ for two years. All right, do it. And then he gets beaten by Rui. He's beaten by, and I go, see, it's not that hard. It's not that easy, is it? He's fucking rubbish now. I mean, maybe you'll argue that it was always rubbish. Well, I think it's a bit harsh to say he's rubbish now, but. Yeah. yeah. Given that you're a man who didn't even watch him. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. I, I mean, um, Terry, you sort of alluded there that you thought it sort of may be intentional. If you're trying to take control of something, you need to make everyone dependent on you, right? So the way you do that is you take all the value out. So you go, 
All these promoters put their pretty much a lot of their prize assets, right? All the non-American assets were on show, pretty much, right? If we look at it, um, you know, the Saudis have controlled the non-American assets, the Furies, the Joshes, the Bivols, etc. And what they've done, and I don't think they've paid as much as people are telling us, by the way. But what they've done is they've said, right, these guys want to fight each other. People are going to realize there's not that big a gap between all of these guys, and that's going to take a lot of value out. But what we can then do is take the heavyweights off and just have like a round robin, have these guys just fight each other regularly for decent money. And this happens in Saudi, almost like taking the heavyweight division and turning it into the UFC. Because if you were going to build a product and you were the Saudis, that's what you'd want to do. You know, almost like what they did with Live Golf, where they just said, let's just take a few of the really good golfers and just control them. And I can see them trying to do that with some of these heavyweights as well, just Let's look after them. Oh, the alternative explanation is they were just handing out money to boxers who converted to Islam is another, you know, Terry conspiracy theory because it looks like <laughs> there are a lot of a lot of either public or hidden converts in that in that payday. That was for sure. Well, Joel Miller did his whole video, didn't he? Of uh, like filmed himself converting to Islam. Tank Davis has done it this week, was it? Yeah, you know he's about to get that $20 million yeah, check. Yeah. yeah, you know why you're doing that. Like, no yeah. offence, Tank, but I don't believe you're doing that for religious purposes. No, not after all the alcohol you consume, the domestic violence stuff, no. Um, you know, the grift is good. But I think sort of, again, I was thinking earlier about the things to discuss. And the fact is we're outside of Saudi Arabia, which is a pretty big change over the past sort of 12 months. Well, last six months. And let's be honest, that Saudi Arabia stuff has been there under various guises. <laughs> Whatever we, I'm going to come on to that later anyway. But it's sort of <laughs> the first named one under a brand was Skills Challenge, wasn't it? And then Skills Challenge with Kinahan's mate, I can't remember what his name is, um, bald headed fella, just sort of died a death. They signed Usyk and then died a death seemingly very quickly. I don't know if that was before or after sanctions came along. Don't know. Um, and then we've ended up with this Turkish... I, I, I don't know who he is. Um, but... Well, isn't, isn't he or wasn't he um, MBS's bodyguard? So he... So obviously he's the, the king of Saudi, right? So he was... I think he was his bodyguard. And then he's just gone, right, mate, we need to do something. Yeah. Go and do some entertainment stuff. Okay, I'll do boxing. All right, cool. How much money do you need? And about five billion. Yeah, you just get it off the kitchen drawer. Done. That's that. That's what it looks like to me. It looks like that one of the princes had an idea to get into boxing. Didn't really work. Other guys gone. I can do boxing better. I can do other stuff like golf, tennis, and that's what that turkey guy's done. And they're just giving him a pot of money to play with. And to be honest. If you were to mark him out of 10, like he's given us some of the best oh shit moments in boxing this year. So under his watch, we saw Fury get dropped by, by, by a UFC fighter who probably could have done more damage if he had more confidence. And we've seen we've seen the Wilder bubble burst. We've seen that um, what Aslan Beck, Makhmedenov, heavyweight guy destroyed. We've seen a lot of people like really, I mean, we, He's given us some oh shit moments. 
in terms of boxing that we would never have got anywhere else. So I'm, I'm going to give him credit, actually, for saying, mate, thank you for restoring some common sense to boxing because we should have had cards like this a long time ago and the money was there to do it. We were just I, lied to by these promoters. But the, I have a question. That, that, sorry, Andy. That um, card from last weekend, I still stand by. There was not one fight on there. As a boxing fan, you'd have gone, make that fight. Not one. And like... I know you're saying about the money that they're earning. I heard from somebody relatively close to it all what Ellis Zorro was earning. Um, so Ellis Zorro's sort of what, four fight down the card against Jayapatai went around, and that was decent money. Decent money. Um, danger money, don't get me wrong, um, but sort of like life-changing money. Um so I don't know what those above him were earning and if that sort of scales up with the uh, the profile and what they bring to it. Because let's be honest, Elisora brought absolutely nothing to it, including his gloves almost. Um, but he he got paid well for rocking up in Saudi Arabia, getting his head punched in for a minute and then leaving. That man will never be the same again after that. He will never be the same like Opatai took that man's soul. When I saw his neck snap back on that rope, I was like, wow, mate, you're dead. And if you're not dead, literally, your career might be dead, mate. Like, I, I almost wonder, was the money worth it for for what was essentially an exorcism? Like, it was, that was an exorcism <laughs> right there. Bam. No, I agree. And, and the board sanctioned that. Like, I'm a little bit... I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, I... <laughs> We've heard stories of promoters that have tried to make fights with like Prospect A versus Yugoslav, Georgian fucking bin man or whatever, and the board turn it down because it's not a fair matchup. I don't understand how the board allowed that fight to go ahead. Outside of the fact, I'm sure somebody will say, oh, well, Elisoro with WBO into whatever it is, champion, ranked number nine in the world. Do not Into care. school's champion. Into county's champion. Could not care less. Like, he should not have been sharing a ring there with Opatai. It was mad. But what? this is the problem with boxing, isn't it? That if there's money involved, people find logic behind it, right? Because let's go back to, to our time. Like, when we did New Age full-time, we saw the KSI and the thing, we saw that coming, right? And if you remember the energy at the time where people were like, we will never touch it. This has nothing to do with us. Yada, 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 yada. And we said on the yeah. UA, we said, the good thing about these guys is they will do this without boxing. They don't need, they don't need us. They don't need boxing fans. They don't need boxing coaches. They don't need boxing people. And we were proved right. And what did you see? You saw Kalisal and basically blowjobbing the hell out of these YouTubers. You saw all these supposed serious boxing people getting involved, you know, these fucking tracksuit wallies. Um, I mean, all these sorts of just fucking, fucking idiots getting involved now because, because the checks are good. Do you know what I mean? The money is good. And people in boxing will always find a way to justify stuff by going, well, it's money at the end of the day. And that's what kills boxing, that there's no principle behind it. It's just money. If Ella Zora has to get decapitated by Jaya Pattaya for the sake of 200 grand. Oh, that all makes sense. But what's the knock-on effect now? 
how is Ellen Zorro going to cope with having to earn 10 grand for his next fight? Like emotionally, how do you go from that to that? No one thinks about this. How's Lyndon Arthur going to go from earning 300 grand to, to earning 15? How's he going to go from that to that? No, no one talks about these sorts of things. And, and, and so what, what is also done is it's almost like a Mayweather effect. Like when Mayweather started making 100 mil, everyone's expectations of what they were worth went up. And it basically, it ended up with Showtime and HBO going, this boxing thing's a joke. And so we need to be very, very careful about how we view Saudi Arabia. And it goes back to what I said before. Are they trying to make boxing dependent on their money? And in that sense, control everything? Or is it literally just, look, we're just doing this for Riyadh season 2023, and we won't touch boxing again. And I think they need to be clear on their ambition for no other reason than, it helps set expectations in boxing. I, I, I might have missed something here, but it feels to me that if you've got enough money, you're already in charge of boxing. Like, everyone's such a mercenary. If you turn up tomorrow with what seems to be unlimited funds in Saudi Arabia, then you just go to everyone, oh, do what we want, and they go, oh, yeah. They've, they've created boxing. bridges in six months that we had yeah. been discussing that were broken for how many years <laughs> we were recording and had been recording up until the point where you suddenly, out of nowhere, got Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren, like, 69 in each other over a press conference <laughs> table. Despite the fact that for years they've been mouthing off online about how shit, like, Warren would be talking about, oh, you know, they're on the app or whatever. Hearn will be saying, you know, he's a small hall promoter. They've basically sniped at one another for the best part of 10, 15 years. Yeah, they, they were meant to meet sort of post-COVID, um, sort of sit down and discuss how they could work better. And I'm sure relationships have improved with sort of George Warren getting involved with Eddie Hearn. But you've ended up with these two men who for years and years have been like sworn enemies. And some bloke in Saudi Arabia has more money than both of those two. So they start like circle jerking one another to the point where they'll sit around a table and they'll handshake for the public. Like, it's genuinely, in my view, it's one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen. Um, it's already, and- it's almost like the people that have controlled boxing all this time are morally bankrupt in some way. Or yeah, it's almost like they could just be purchased. Way. I said this online and you end up with these accounts come back. I don't know who they are, but came back saying like, well, yeah, well, for that amount of money, of course you would. I'm like, okay, well, no, I, <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying for like, I haven't got anyone that I've mugged off for sort of 10, 15 years to that extent. But if I did, I don't know what that value would have to be for me to publicly front it up and pretend I'd never said any of it and hope nobody ever sort of questioned me on it. And I suppose nobody is going to question you on it because the only people that would are the useless video camera holders that turn up at press con- conferences. None of them are going to hold them to account properly and hold their feet over the fire for what they've been saying for years. Because it's not yeah. in their interests either. Coogan's <laughs> not going to do it because he's too busy, I don't know, getting yes, paid by someone else in Saudi Arabia. I, I don't know. Careful, Martin. I, careful. <laughs> Coogan might have had a brandy or two when he listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, he's on He's on my conversation list later. Don't worry about that. It's perfect. I just like on the basis. You can't, I, I don't care. I never cared about Frank Warren anyway, and I feel like to some degree, 
them half the time them talking was filling airtime they could have been that we could have been spent talking about fights they didn't make so their fucking soap opera between them filled probably hours of the podcast that we did talking about well why has he said this and why has he said that and why has barry hearn said this as well you know those three i suppose why have these people been saying this contracts for for boxers yeah, and, yeah and, and I always hours of content provided there. Sports week with Frank Warren and Barry Hearn, like, and then Frank Warren just hangs up the phone and just it's all all this nonsense. Where when the fuck do we do we talk about the chief executive of the Premier League when the Super League happens? Apart from that, we don't know who they are. I mean, I fucking don't know who it is now. So you, could you talk about the sport? But we don't talk about that during the boxing because there wasn't enough boxing to talk about. Sorry, Martin, go on. No, I was going to say, sort of the bit you're saying there about the sort of chief executive, you take this turkey guy that runs the, the Saudi side of things. Again, it's been, comp- not completely, but in the majority overlooked. How funny it is seeing Hearn and Warren have to keep referring to a man as his excellency. <laughs> and again, like... <laughs> If anyone ever queries what is the price of your morals, the price is exactly how much they're getting paid by this Turkish dude to get on their knees, unzip him and call him His Excellency in every IFL interview, in every boxing social interview. And then sort of handshake. It's just the whole thing. I found it horrifically (coughs) pathetic from like grown men. It, it was a reminder that boxing's a sport of very brave men and women run by fucking bitches. Yeah. The the, the managers are bitches, the promoters are bitches, a lot of the trainers are fucking bitches too. They're just fucking the sort of just the sort of guys that wouldn't be good at anything. You know, ah, man, like you see it and you cringe. And excuse me, like this is when you know that the full hangover is kicking in. But these clowns at fucking Sam Jones. That's one. Um, we wouldn't name names. Why not? These, let's just name the clowns. Him. Fucking Coogan. No wonder Umar Ahmed left, man. I hope he goes and does his own thing and is successful. All of these people, Michelle Joy Phelps, you're doing law. You're not doing law. When the Saudi money comes to something, you're not doing law. You're on OnlyFans. You're not on OnlyFans. What the hell's going on? Who are these morons and who let them in? Who let them in? Any more names you want to throw in there, Terry? I'm just I'm waiting for one in particular. Oh, what? The, the, the child sex enabler? Is that who we want to talk about? You want to talk about the child sex enabler? You want to talk about <laughs> Tebbit, do you? Is that who you want to talk about? The child sex enabler. The man who oh, slept I wish I'd not pulled this pin. No, the man who oh, slept on man. the floor. No, the man who slept on the floor as a professional boxer shared a bed with a 16-year-old boy. Him. You want to talk about him? Is that what we want to talk about today? Sorry, my earphones can't camera there. Like, why don't you speak about that when you're when you're taking over? Was it boxing news, which you've actually managed to devalue even more because you found some rich kid who was too stupid and parted him from his money? Good move, by the way. But listen, that guy's a child sex enabler. Fuck him. Yeah, I'll keep saying that and just forget his his issue with me. But I'll say that fuck him because he knows what happened in that week in July 2018. He knows what was happening. Okay, so well, I love Frank Warren. That's the point of this this conversation. You love here. Frank Warren. Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn, 
what great guys. A boxing I, is I was trying to do more thing. business with the Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> we need to revisit that tweet every now and then. Like, if we're just bringing Mate. up a new legal case now, by the sounds of it, then we might as well Mate. go back to an old one as well. I, I, I watch, love. I, I, I watch, I watch, or I, I view that tweet, Martin, at least twice a year. Just, just have to. Just I'm like, think, this Martin, is... if you had enough money, he would have replied to that tweet with, ha, 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 Martin, you're so funny. Your Excellency. <laughs> That's what he would have done. But I do that, his Excellency thing. And I realise that's a cultural thing. I realise that sort of if you went and worked out in Saudi, then you may well be calling your bosses sort of his excellency. But just for these two men that have been like the alpha males in their kingdom of boxing for the last however long, and all they've been doing is sat at the top of their sort of respective thrones in their own mind and taking shots at everybody else... And to get to a point where they have to call another man his excellency because he's got a bit more money than they have, I just find it hilarious. If anything, I'm just disappointed that he didn't go further and go, you have to call me your, your, uh, his excellency. Address me that before. The next oh, bloody, okay. All right. Okay. And just one more thing. You have to suck this pink dildo just before any words come out of your mouth. Just give it a good suck and then start talking. Have you ever, yeah. have you ever seen Pete show? You know... Um, there's an episode where Mark gets his mobile phone stolen um, by some use and he has to go along to a chicken shop where they're going to give it back to him for like 50 quid. And uh, he goes to pay him the 50 quid and this like young kids going, ah, oh, sorry, mate, it's gone up now. It's 60 quid. And he's like, well, that's unfortunate because you told me it's nah, 60 quid now, mate. And he goes, ah, oh, right. Okay. Well, I've got another tenner. So you go. And he goes, but when you get it, you've got to ask me it in a woman's voice. Mark's going, oh, no, I'm not doing that. That's humiliating. So the kids are, all right, I'm off. Okay, can I have my phone back now, please? <laughs> and that's exactly where we're up to in boxing. They might as well all be doing it in a woman's voice. Going, oh, His Excellency. Oh, getting that pink dildo out and giving it a good old throat in. Oh. Absolute genuine missed opportunity. I can't wait to see them in like traditional Saudi Arabian garms, uh, uh, like you know, with the the whole I don't know what it's called, <sighs> with the ring on the top of their head. You know that that be that would be brilliant, and it yeah. would be it would just it just highlight it would just serve to highlight just how how purchasable they are. Yeah, they're just sort of like, okay, you've got a bit more money. Because don't forget, it wasn't that long back that Hearn was sort of top of the tree with his $1 billion that DeZone had given him. And he was given that press conference in America, supping on a corona or whatever it was, talking about his billion-dollar deal. He was the king of the boxing kingdom at that point. You fast forward a few years, and he's calling another man his excellency and just sort of going to the beat of their drum and having to get along with Frank Warren at the same time. Just, I found it hilarious. Abs- it and- felt like, the, the design thing always felt like Emperor's New Clothes, though, didn't it? Like, when he left, it was like, one billion pearls. Like, all right. And I can't actually remember the shows they first put on, but in, in one of them, one, one of the first, their big shows involved Derek Chisora, and everyone was like, you what? A billion pounds, and that's the best. I mean, there was like, there was plenty of examples. I think the first one was in fucking America, wasn't it? And well, it I think I think the fact is, like, without going like into that. the individual details, for a billion pounds, I'm not sure yes. any of us could 
name sort of the five best shows in order, like the five yeah, most memorable true. things that have happened on the zone because it's not really happened. Here's a question for you. I don't appreciate you probably won't know this, but if you had to guess what has gone on with regards to Fury and Usyk to get them to come together, if what I assume what the problem Ooh. was in the first place was that it was percentages, like Fury wanted to embarrass Usyk in terms of, like, you will accept this much because you wouldn't get it without me and all this sort of stuff. Because I've heard him say that and that Fury doc. What has happened in the negotiations with Fury and Usyk in order to make them fight? I would imagine His Excellency turned up <laughs> with a amount of money that they both went, oh, all right, well, we can sort of put aside our percentage split issues to make that happen. Or someone else in Saudi Arabia has said, you lot need to stop dicking about with this. You need to get on and do it because I want my money back. Now, I don't know who that person in Saudi Arabia could be, but we'll come on to a little bit later about a Financial Times podcast that's been out recently that's quite interesting. Um... <laughs> the 971 crew. No, I've, I loved your podcast, Terry, where you talk about the 971 crew, man. That was, uh, that was brilliant. Now, guys, sorry, I had to slip out earlier. Um, I think you can imagine what happened to me. So I, I think I'm normal again now. <laughs> you return. I envy, I envy if you if you can make a brief exit and feel normal again after thin and rough. Mate, mate I just, yeah, just blasted my toilet bowl. It was insane. <laughs> God, <laughs> what an image! It was yeah, um, it's just apple. I think it was just apple and elderflower and some remnants of yesterday's vodka. Just there, bam. So I, I have, a, I have a question that I was going to ask earlier. In that, what are Saudi Arabia looking to achieve by by controlling boxing? And is it because one? Is it just because it's a sport that has a worldwide audience and uh, however small that is comparative to other sports is what I'm getting at there. Um, it still is a sport that has a worldwide audience. So, is it Mr. White, uniquely exposed to being let's look at the, pretty easy? So let's look at money? the chessboard here, right? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Saudi Arabia are trying to do big things in a very, very short space of time. They don't have the skills or the manpower to do it internally. So what they're trying to do is bring a broad span of people, because when you're trying to construct cities in a matter of years, you need tradespeople. So what they're trying to do is build interest, engagement, and appeal in Saudi Arabia to a broad span of people. So they take over Live Golf and they do some of the tennis, and that's going to bring in your, your Middle Englanders, so to speak, your professionals, your accountants, your lawyers, etc., um, F1 will bring in that broad span of people. And then you've got boxing, which is still viewed as a working class sport. So if you're trying to attract trades people to help you build your city, and they may have apprehensions about Saudi Arabia, when they can associate Saudi Arabia positively with the sport that they engage with, it makes that journey easier. It puts eyes on Saudi Arabia across a broad social span, which is what they need to get the people and the investment to build cities like Neom, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, there's a far bigger strategy here around trying to make Saudi Arabia a destination for people to want to go and live. Because um, a friend of mine was out there filming, um, so filming the actual coverage of their reckoning. 
And he was just saying, mates, there's nothing to do in Saudi, in Riyadh. He's like, you, he's like, I could never live here because there's nothing to do. And I was like, mate, they'll give you a check and you will live there <laughs> because they, they, they will pay for it. And that's essentially what they're doing at the moment is they're just paying to polish up their brand in the hope that people come and they can turn Saudi Arabia into like a, a bigger version of Dubai. So what you're saying is boxing is at risk because it is uniquely exposed to the fact that it's easily bought with tons and tons and tons of cash. Yeah, there's no requirement to negotiate. Right. Look how much money they've thrown at football and they haven't got anywhere near as close as they've got to basically, for example, Eddie had a fact 69 in, as Martin would put it. So one of the things I did hear from one of my contacts in Saudi is they weren't going to do all of this stuff till 2025, but the oil price went up and they just had money they couldn't spend. And they were just like, yeah, do the football thing now, do the boxing thing now, do the golf mm. thing now, because we've got money we, we hadn't budgeted for. I want to go back. There was a little bit you said earlier, Terry, about the Sourlands being on like KSI. I find that really funny now. Like, I don't pay a huge amount of interest in the, the whole Misfits thing. But when I do see any of it, I think, what? why have KSI and such like kept the Sourlands around? Because it looks like the dad has turned up at the house party and sort of nobody probably really wants him there, but he's there to sort of hold court maybe and make sure everybody leaves at midnight. Um, it just, it looks a bit awkward. All these young people that are engaging with it and you've got this sort of mid-40s bloke with slick back hair sort of off his nut on whatever <laughs> hanging around um, at an event that I don't understand why they need him. And I know someone who was involved in the very first Misfits one they did over here. He's a British license holder, sort of in the background, um, who's a whip. And was told by the board, you can't go and do this, not with your license. If you go and do it, we'll have a look at your license. And so he had to turn down the money to go and do it. And at the same time, you've got British license holders in Lee Eaton as a manager providing boxers for the event. You've got the Sourlands who are boxing license holders as promoters and or managers. I'm not sure if they're managers, but they're involved in the event. I don't understand why it's okay for some but not others and whether it's now just okay for everyone and the board have to sort of accept it i'm not sure i mate so because i knew a couple of the the misfits boxes like you know london boxing small we all kind of know each other it's too lucrative to turn down yeah right those those lads are getting paid more than you're getting paid to fight at your call right that those misfits guys are earning more than a lot of professional boxers who you'd assume are in the money. So trainers and look, I know, I know I took shots at a lot of trainers and stuff and said they're all bitches and all that tracksuit wallies. But I'm going to defend boxing training and say it's a very insecure and a very low paying way to make a living that I can't be mad at someone training a, a YouTuber for a bit of extra income. You know, it makes perfect sense to me. What I don't like is them having strong views against the YouTube thing and then jumping on the wave. That hypocrisy annoys me. You get a lot of that in boxing where people say, I'd never do this, then they do it. Like a lot of guys were like, I'd never train a woman to box. And now you see them 
basing their whole identity of training women boxers. Now, like I said, training women boxers is not inherently wrong, but being a hypocrite is because it's like, well, you know, how do you feel about it now? Uh, well, I've got to get a few quid, and I. But you see, a lot of these, a lot of these <laughs> trainers who could never get world champions as men, you know, now parading themselves as yeah, I trained, I trained three world champions, and you're like, yeah, but you know, you you, you didn't do it where it counts, unfortunately. <laughs> so, so people are now seeing it, all of this stuff is just. I always looked at boxing as something that only a select few people should be able to do, right? The ability to jump in and have a fight with someone at an elite level should be the preserve of the very, very few. And what boxing progressively did is allowed that idea of being elite, that idea of combat to be filtered and watered down to the point where anyone can do it. Like you got you got these white collar bouts happening, and like I said, there's a space for everything in life. But you got people doing white collar bouts, and then having opinions on professional boxing as if they've been at that level. I, I'm uncomfortable with that. But then I also say, well, at what point can you talk intelligently about elite level boxing? I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's definitely not after two white collar bouts. So we're. We're in a we're in a very dark place in terms of boxing, Andy. This goes back to what you were saying at the beginning. Why should people care about boxing? It doesn't feel special anymore. You know what football's been able to do is retain that that sense of something special. So when the World Cup happens, something special. When the Champions League final happens, something special. The last day of the Premier League season, something special. In fact, every week of the Premier League season is something special. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's playing who. Boxing failed to do that. And I don't know how you fix that long term, by the way. I, I don't I don't know how you fix it. It's definitely not by having Kala and his cronies hanging around these YouTubers and stuff. Because they don't add anything to that proposition. All they do is they just they they let you know that they're not making enough money with conventional boxing. So they've had to do this whole misfits thing to to fill in the gaps, so to speak. That's that's the sad thing is that boxing's not strong enough on its own to ignore YouTube boxing and celebrity boxing and all these other gimmicks that they seem to have. Um, a couple of things you said then. Um, so the first one was something that seems to just like seems to rattle around social media and just uh, and the media at the moment with like in regards to people talking on social media and opinions of this and opinions of that. Like when I was, when I'd sort of adolescent, a saying was always, I remember a saying, opinions are like arseholes and everyone's got one. Somewhere between that saying being a, a cliche and now it's been lost to the point where if you asked everyone if you ask most people does everyone have an opinion they'd probably say yes but yet they there seems there seems to be both enough gravity in someone's opinion anyone's opinion on social media to piss people off um in spite of the fact that literally anyone can have an opinion and there are no qualifications to what that opinion could put you in order to build that opinion I, I, it puzzles me. It blows my mind why, 
like you said, if someone has had two white collar box, uh, white white collar bouts, and they start talking about boxing, well, what difference does it make? I've never, you know, I've never, I've never partook in any kind of boxing whatsoever. I've got, I've, I've, and I've had, and I've had several opinions on boxing. But my opinion is only as valid as you're willing, as only worth as much as you're willing to give it value if you don't care about what i say then fine that's what i don't that's what puzzles me like do you know what andy that that's a life lesson that people need to learn and i think i think social media has moved that quickly that it was a problem we didn't have before because in life you can just ignore stupid opinions right it's easy but on social media we didn't really know what are the rules of the road in terms of people's opinions so i've had to learn over time to not give things oxygen I don't want to give things oxygen to, right? And I, I get a lot of crap on on social media. I get a lot of good stuff as well. But let me not knock that. So I have to work out in my mind what do I want to give oxygen to, right? And I just give oxygen to stuff that, not necessarily stuff that agrees with me, but stuff where I'm like, I think this is coming from a a, a good place. You may disagree with me in, about something. It doesn't matter. But as long as I feel it's coming from a good place, I'll, I'll kind of give it oxygen. When I feel it comes from a bad place, I don't. And I've had to, I think we've all had to learn how to do that in an online world. Because like you said, every, every, there's almost no, there's no need to self-censor. And I always find it paradoxical that we say different things on Twitter than we do on LinkedIn, right? Because of the level of accountability LinkedIn brings. Yeah, no, so every, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes I'll just say to people, you know I mean, send me that in your LinkedIn voice because I, and, and people know what that means. It means like, you're not so brave on LinkedIn. A lot of people aren't. And, you know, they come on Twitter talking all sorts of nonsense. And so <clears throat> we're, we're all learning what the, the best way to do that is. And I say to people all the time, like, just just block people. Like, when I, when I blocked a whole swathe of boxing Twitter, I did about three years ago. My my timeline's just been brilliant since then because they were just they were the source of all of the trouble, and I just eliminated them. It's interesting about what you're saying there, Terry, about the thing with um, sort of having two white collar bouts and having an opinion. That's literally me, like having a couple of white collar bouts and having an opinion. But I think if people were to go back for whatever sad reason and listen to the back catalogue of our podcast, my opinions very, very, very rarely are about the technical side of boxing. That's not my forte. My forte has nothing to do with the technical side of boxing because I appreciate there are others that know it far, far, far better than I do. My understanding of the sport comes very much outside of the ring. My understanding of the sport is sort of some of the machinations and the, the business side of it what goes on in that side. I have an interest in watching go, what goes on in the ring. I sort of have an eye test as to what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy and what goes on in the ring. I have an opinion on boxers and sort of maybe their personalities and what they could or should be doing differently. But in terms of what those technical aspects are, for the years that we recorded, I don't think I ever once really gave a technical sort of view on any boxer as to what I liked or didn't like, just whether I sort of enjoyed watching them or not. Because that isn't for me to do. I'm not sort of qualified to be doing that. Ironically, I have a board license or I've let it lapse, uh, which they gave me in spite of the fact that 
I'm not qualified in any way to do it, which makes a bit of a mockery, really, of the board sort of uh, handing out licenses. If they'll give me one to do a seconds license and stand in the corner of the ring. And in their own words, during that interview, sort of you're a second, therefore you're you're not the lead trainer. But what if the lead trainer, you know, you're due to go up to Manchester with a fighter and the lead trainer's train gets delayed to get to London Euston and they can't go. And you're the one that's got to take that fighter up to Manchester and run the corner because the lead trainer's not there. I'm not qualified to do that in any way whatsoever. Yet they still gave me a license to allow me to do that, which is mad. So, so I'll tell you why this whole thing is taken taking hold of me, Martin. I saw so many people saying that Deontay Wilder was finished after he lost to Joseph Parker on Saturday. And I was almost like, what do you mean finished? Like, what the hell do you mean finished? Like, like if you look at Wilder over, what's it, a 15-year career he's had, he hasn't taken a lot of punishment. He, he has probably in, in two fights, he's taken a lot of punishment. Um, but not much. And so I was watching, I was watching him fight Parker. And people were sending me messages like, yeah, look at him. He's washed up. He's a hype job. He was never that good to begin with. And I'm like, what? It's wrong. Where the hell does this come from? Because I'm watching Wilder and I'm watching a guy who's just confused, right? I'm like, I'm like Malik Scott took everything that was good about Deontay Wilder and got rid of it and filled it in with stuff he would have done as a boxer, forgetting the fact that he's the guy that threw himself on the floor as soon as Deontay Wilder touched him. You know, people conveniently forget how how poor Malik Scott was in that fight, right? Uh, how, how unwilling he was to engage. So when people are saying Wilder's finished, I'm like, but you haven't, you haven't really looked at the situation here. You haven't looked at it and gone, actually, the Deontay Wilder that fought Lewis Ortiz probably would have stopped Joseph Parker. But it's, ah, it's finished, he's washed up. And now, you know, remember, after Joseph Parker got leveled by Joe Joyce, people like Parker should retire. Those same people now saying, I wouldn't mind seeing Parker versus Joshua now. So I'm like, what? Like, none of it's making any sense. And this is a problem with boxing fans. But it's tough. And when it annoys me about boxing fans, but boxing fans aren't as bad as rugby fans. Just just for, for, for balance, yeah. The worst fans for any kind of sport are rugby union fans. Because <laughs> every motherfucker has played for their county, right? I've never I've never been on any kind of discussion forum and there's no one there. Oh yeah, man, I played a couple of games for the county. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, really? <laughs> Who? Which county? Who was in your team? Oh, mate, long time ago, can't remember. Everyone was a county player and they believe that qualifies them to have really strong opinions on everything related to rugby. But it's the reason rugby's never moved forward because they're really conservative. They want rugby to be modern without rugby modernising. I don't know how they expect to square that circle, but that's that's their logic. It's ridiculous. Um, I didn't mean to take us down this path, but it was, it was more a case of, uh, I suppose it was just a little niggle um, from on my behalf of this like this oversensitivity from people it's like and, and talks of like um what's that term they give it when when uh echo chamber it's like oh you've created an echo chamber online like 40 years ago what did you just sit down the pub and you went yeah. 
what's Steve and Gary doing with you? You hate those blokes. Yeah, but I can't sit with just my mates. But then I'd be too happy and we'd all talk about stuff I enjoyed. These guys are here to challenge me. <laughs> Everyone's always had an echo chamber, you know, unless you listen. And then the argument is, well, you should listen to the news, which was always controlled by the people. That, it's just bizarre how we've sem- somehow managed to unlearn all the things we knew prior to technology and pretend that this everything's new oh we need to learn how to not create echo chambers that's literally what everyone was doing 40 fucking years ago down the pub or everyone just needs to get out of their fucking houses man get out in the houses touch some concrete touch some grass yeah just just go back and be a human being again uh we're talking about this last night in terms of why i tell people not to use dating apps now you know i know i know I you com- you completed Tinder though. To be fair, you've completed it. So yeah. So 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 we so, still get so, tweets about your uh, your dating app advice episode. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, an episode at the top, which is bulk approved, like bulk liked everything. A- API Tinder. Yeah. Well, I don't know why people weren't weren't just <laughs> like. Whenever there's a game to be played, you just want to play it like a champion. That's my view on anything. But those apps, like it's, it's yellow label shopping, if we're being honest, right? It is. It's just yellow label shopping. You might find a gem, um, which I did on Boxing Day. Man. I got a full, like I got, what was it? Like a two kilo beef rib for like 13 quid, reduced from 42. I didn't where was going with that. <laughs> mate, mate, that's one of the I, best bargains I've had on a yellow label. I didn't know if we were going to get the yellow label Tinder shopping or Sainsbury's shopping. I've got to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I was hoping for the former, if I'm completely honest. I'm sorry. But when it went down to two, two kilo, I thought, whoa, this had better be food related now. But but no, it's it's so look at what the look at what apps have done, right? Apps have convinced men and women there's always a better option to swipe away. So they look for reasons to get rid of people now. Whereas in the old days, you had to go outside to meet women. Like, do you remember, like, when we were kids, you didn't really see women naked in motion unless you had a girlfriend. So, <laughs> Understand or if you found him in a bush somewhere when you're retrieving a football. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> nah, you'd always <laughs> find that rogue porno knocking about in a bush. Yeah, but, but in motion. Yeah. yeah, but it was, though. Like, if, if you didn't go out in the world you didn't get a girlfriend, yeah. right? If you didn't go out in the world, you didn't know what was happening. So all of those skills and those, those drivers have left our society. And what we now have are essentially platforms that give into those base instincts that maturity is meant to flatten out, right? So... So you could look, 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 it's one of the things I, I find distasteful. Like, whatever I think about Eddie Hearn and whatever, right? If he's Shaggy Sky Nicholson or not, not really my business, not something I've ever really had a commentary you, on because you'd never bring it up, would you? That's the thing with you, you don't care. You wouldn't even bring it up, even if it was related to what we're talking about. <laughs> Go on, Andy. But what was, yeah, but, but look at how many times poor old Sky will post something and the first three comments are about. Eddie sticking something in it, you're like, <laughs> come on, man. I, 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 I agree entirely. I agree. Eddie's personal life is miles away from what he's doing or not doing in boxing. Like, have an opinion on his boxing, the fights he puts on, da da da. Whether he's with his wife or not, whether he's with Sky Nicholson or not, 
is none of our business whatsoever. And I find it utterly deplorable when people send me shit about Sky Nicholson and Hearn. I'm like, no, it's nothing to do with you, nothing to do with me. If they're at it, cool, good for them. But it isn't our concern. And I find that absolutely disgusting amongst what this is i guess it's what i don't understand if you left the pub after you know and some mental homeless bloke was just like oh you've been shagging your fucking neighbor again you wouldn't be like what how dare you talk about that you just be like just disregard and and i'm not trying to dig out anything but this is what i don't understand what when people mention stuff like that online why does anyone care i think caring about it gives the oxygen it does it not no so so on an individual level andy I'm, i i genuinely don't care right but there's a macro trend right and it starts with those sorts of quips and then you get the the shit rashford saka etc sterling all got when they missed penalties right or didn't take penalties yeah that's the problem. When it starts off with little little comments here and there, you can let that slide. But there's a general trend, which is I'm going to do everything I can to ruin your day on social media. And individually, you can survive. But can you imagine just hundreds of these things, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Your yeah. family's got to see that. Your friends have got to see that. And then that energy, because as much as we try and pretend that stuff doesn't get to you, you see enough of that, mate. It's going to get to you at some point. I guess I, I must accept that it's probably it's talking from a standpoint that I've never come under a barrage. <laughs> I've, I've never come under a barrage online um, of of just fucking gar- garbage. So maybe it's I easy. Have, I have. Say. Just remember when, when that guy was like, you better apologize to Paul Hindley or I'm instructing my lawyers to sue you for everything you're worth. Uh, and, I was like, and I was like, do it. Do it. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, you're not Frank Warren. Do it. And what happened? Disappear. But it's yeah. those sorts of people who, you know what I mean? I just call them Normans. You know those sorts of guys who are like an accounts assistant for a cement company? And they just sit there on Excel all day, right? And they've got their phone by their side and they hate their job. And so all they do is they pick up that phone and they go, at Highfield Boxing, mate, you're always talking shit on your podcast. Fuck you. Ah, that's better. Send. And you're like, who hurt you, mate? Jesus, it wasn't me. But you get that. Mm. And it's a, it's a sad indictment of it. And and I've had to learn to be a better person, Andy, actually. Because I'm sure there's a point in time when, when I was upset and mad at the world and I was throwing out shit at people. And I had to go through that evolution to go, they don't care what I think, I don't care what they think, keep it pushing. Um, yeah, I think back to when we're recording regularly, there'll probably be people thinking, well, you lot have had a go at Hearn and Warren and co for years. Yeah, to some degree we have, but that's about their product. And their product is what they put out there into, they're reliant on us buying it, essentially, like paying our money to buy their product. Terry gives away his product for free. People don't pay for Highfield Boxing podcasts. You can listen to it. You don't have to listen to it. No drama. There's only a very limited amount of boxing that happens within the UK, and it happens via on TV or an app, the zone with Eddie, BT or TNT with Frank, Sky with Ben Shalom. 
all three of them are reliant on selling that product to us and we are entitled to have an opinion about that product and yeah we have sort of had a go at them over the years but about their product not about what they're doing outside of their boxing world they're not doing interviews with ifl about what their relationship status is so we shouldn't be commenting on it yeah i, I only care about boxing i don't care about the gossipy side of things it, it, it's fun to hear and you have a little chuckle but then you just leave it yeah whatever you know we, we we've all got skeletons do you know what I mean? We all do dirt. So do you want your dirt in public? I know I, I know I don't. That's for damn sure. Okay, here's a, here's another question on something you mentioned earlier with regards to women's boxing. And I'm not I'm not this is this is a genuine question, but it's just something you're a big, that, you're a big fan, isn't you? So <laughs> it was more like so Terry and t- correct me if I'm wrong, Terry, but you implied that it's easier to tr- to get a position as a trainer for a female boxing world champion than it is to for the male equivalent is that is that yeah what you yeah say, so? i don't think anyone would i don't think or, anyone would or, so i'm well, not, I think, not challenging I think what you that. also meant rather than that necessarily what you said there is to get a female world champion to train a female to be a world champion is statistically easier than it is to train a male just it's a pure numbers game there's not yeah. as many females therefore your odds of achieving it in the female sport are far greater than in the male sport so I, um, maybe that maybe your point there kneecaps my question, frankly. But how do you therefore approach female sport with the with the right level of respect, despite the fact that, um, in this scenario you're talking about, there it's easier to train a female do you know what i mean i, I i'm struggling yeah, so, to articulate my question I, but... I, I think the sport needs to earn the respect to some degree um and now one of my highlights of the year is going to sort of touch on what the best bits of the year for me watching lauren parker win an ebu super flyweight title down at york hall i sat with riku an old sort of podcast friend and um friend of ours for many years down at York Hall watching that. The fight was ridiculous. Lauren Parker against an Itali- Italian lady. I can't remember her name. Two, it was, like This was a card, one of Steve Goodwin's Boxmania cards with like six title fights on it from sort of a couple of English, Commonwealth uh, Silver, some area title fights, English Eliminators. And this one woman's fight on the card stood out as the fight of the evening by an absolute country mile. Like in terms of how it got the crowd engaged, how much the two girls put into it. Like, they both left the ring in pieces. Um, and anyone that watched it, and I had Oscar, my son, with me, sort of as a 14-year-old boy who'd be the next generation of boxing fans. He's an amateur boxer himself. He's carded. He left that event, that arena, with a newfound respect for what women can do in the sport. And I think that's sort of how the sport needs to needs to grow is that women need to sort of garner that respect themselves and put it in the ring. Now, what, you know, the opposite side of that is that there are men out there that aren't doing that. Jack Cattrall, Jack Cattrall's had an absolute stinker of a 2023, still crying about Josh Taylor not fighting him. He had two fights this year with Dara Foley and Jorge Linares. Jorge Linares literally retired before he'd left the building and Jack Cattrall still couldn't get him out of the ring that night. 
<laughs> Jack Catchwell had been giving it big talk in, in the build-up about he needed to put on a career-best performance, needed to get Jack Catchwell, uh, Jorge Linares out. He was going to make a statement. Sam Jones has said he's going to make a statement. And then after the fight, and before the fight, I'd said this is a shit fight, dreadful fight. No one cares about Jorge Linares in 2023. And if you can't wipe him out in three rounds, then... You know, you're going nowhere, frankly, and people won't care about you, Jack Catchwell. After the fight, I tweeted something along those lines. Pre-fight, by the way, his manager, Sam Jones, had messaged me, and Sam will probably message me again after this or drop me a text or whatever, because that's how it tends to go. Um, he sent me something pre-fight around sort of, yeah, I agree. You, you know, you're being harsh about this fight, but Jack needs to put in a big performance. After the fight, I tweeted something about, that was fucking dreadful. Like, what was the point in that? We're told it's going to be a big performance. Unanimous decision him over 10 rounds or 12 rounds or whatever it was. Like, that was crap. Stop crying about the Josh Taylor fight. No one cares about Jack Cattrall at this point. Nobody. Nobody at all. And I get a message again off Sam Jones saying, why are you so harsh on Jack Cattrall? I'm like, you agreed with me that it needed to be a big performance. You literally sent me messages saying it needs to be a big performance. Then when I criticise it for not being a big performance, you drop in my messages saying, why are you being so harsh on Jack Cattrall? <laughs> but there you go. That's what but, I said. That's what, that's why I called out the names I called out. These these guys are sensitive little bitches. Like, Cattrall's never been relevant in boxing. Like, he wasn't even meant to be relevant because, like, really, Josh Taylor was meant to wipe him out. And why Josh didn't wipe him out is beyond me. And we would never have had to see Jack Cattrall again. So Hearn signs him, and in the hope that they can goad Taylor into fighting Cattrall again, Taylor will never fight Cattrall because of the disrespect. And Taylor doesn't need to. Taylor wants to go to a welterweight. So Hearn's essentially got Cattrall, who's of no use to him, by the way, apart from being fodder for Devin Haney. If Devin can't get a big fight next, you just give him Jack Cattrall. Go, right, look, just knock this over and be done with it. And... You get a lot of this in boxing. They think that they're just entitled little babies sometimes, aren't they? Like, yeah, I should just get this. And it's like, you've done nothing in your career to make fans like you. You've done nothing. There's, you can't put together a Jack Cattrall highlight clip that's longer than 15 seconds. It's just him dropping Josh Taylor, full stop. That's it. Yeah, and Lauren Parker that night, going back to the original point about this, Lauren Parker that night put it all in the ring that night against this Italian woman who was a, a menace, frankly. Um, everyone would have left York Hall that night with a newfound respect for Lauren Parker. Jack Cattrall has never shown me that. He's never been willing to just stand there, plant his feet, make things dirty for Jorge Linares and look to get him out of there. And that's what women's boxing sort of, you get more and more of those fights sort of on the mainstream. And I know for a fact, Lauren barely got paid for that fight, not to the money that you'd have sort of anticipate anyone in an EBU fight. Not because it wasn't sort of fair, but she had to pay to get her opponent over. She had to pay for then sort of, the, the, the promotion had to pay for the three judges flown in from across Europe. Had to pay for all the EBU stuff on a small hall, non-televised show that is a lot of money. Lauren went out and got the sponsorship herself. She had to do the hard work. She sold about, I don't know, 200 tickets herself, if not more, 250. She did the graft. She did the hard work. And then she put in a performance that night that was absolutely stunning. 
she deserved far more respect in my eyes for what she's done this year than Jack Cattrall does, who rocked up at Liverpool Arena and stunk the place out against the man who retired in the changing room. Like that. So more of that from women's boxing next year. And I think you'll start converting more people over to it. So, so yeah, uh, I always have to make a distinction here. There are some incredible women that box, like great athletes, great talents, super skillful, all of that. We don't have the scale. The problem is, in any weight division, once you get past number four or five, they start having losing records. And not like good losing records, like like really bad records. And that it's that lack of depth that holds women's boxing back because it's hard to build rivalries. That's why you see a lot more weight hopping in women's boxing than you do in men's because they have to go to where the fights are. And I, I have a lot of sympathy for that struggle. When I look at women's sport, I always look at netball because <clears throat> I find it interesting that there's a massive campaign to get women in sport, women's representation, but there's a sport that is entirely, well, almost virtually 100% female participation, 100% female administration and management, all of that, right? It's netball. Netball is an amazing sport to watch. Athleticism, speed, skill is really, really good. Yet, you never see the feminists praising netball as a great sport. You never see the media really going in on netball as a great sport. Um, you, it never gets the praise it deserves. And I always wonder if, if we're being honest, the whole point of feminism in terms of sport is they just want to do what the guys do because they've had their own sport for ages and none of these supposed feminists um, flag waivers for women's empowerment go to the copper box and watch the Mavericks <laughs> against the Surrey Storm. They don't go. I do because I think we it's have, a great sport. We've touched upon this before. In fact, you've touched upon this before. Like women's sport will not succeed until women support the sport. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. I think it's really yeah, said. So I, I want to see young girls in the Lionesses shirt, not not in the Jude Bellingham shirt. In a lioness's shirt. I don't know who plays for England anymore. Um, Reese James's sister, Lauren James. Show me and let them do their thing. I want to see women's sport as built by women and developed by women. That's what I want to see. I want to see Callis Island hovering around women's sport at any point either. I just want that to happen. And I think for women's boxing to grow, you need to get people like Jane Couch involved. Like she shouldn't be on the periphery of boxing. You know, Jane understands the game. Like, get Jane Couch involved. What does the product look like? Build a proposition that works for women. She's yeah. just been inducted to the Hall of Fame, the Boxing Hall of Fame. And yet, why are no British promoters, no British broadcasters bringing her in to sell the virtue and the value of women's boxing? I, I, that baffles me. And I realise she may not be the most polished TV product, but that's your job. Not to go too Roy Keane about it. That's your job to turn <laughs> her into that. Make her sort of a TV product that she can stand there and talk and articulate why women's boxing is so important and so special. Why has yeah. nobody done it? Yeah. It's a, it's a, we, we, we're just, I think in general, we're doing women's sport and injustice because it's essentially just subservient to the men's game. That is. May, may, we they did the remember they did the all female card on Sky, 
That Savannah Marshall one. Which was a financial disaster. So where were all the feminists for that one? They were giving away tickets. Like if you knew people at Sky, you could get as many tickets as you wanted for that night. Terrible. You know, like I said, like you said, Andy, until women's sport is backed by women, it won't go anywhere because the problem you've got as a man, you you can watch women's sport. And if you're in reasonable shape, you kind of know that you could be on that pitch and not feel out of out of your depth. So it's not designed for us per se. Like, like I'm old now, but I could play 80 minutes for the England women's rugby team comfortably. I'll score at least four tries. Guaranteed. <laughs> at least four tries. Yeah, I guarantee it. I, I would smoke them. Right? <laughs> so, so it's hard for me to be in awe of what they do. I can respect what they do, but you're not going to make a hero out of that sport for me. Unlike someone like a Simone Biles, right? Where I watch Simone Biles and I go, I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that, that netball point as well. You couldn't do what they do on a netball court. Hey, hey but, but here, here, here's the beauty oh, of it, right? You'd be like, well, yeah. see the thing. No, is, no, 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 no. When I play <laughs> wing defence, you want to see what I'm doing. No, no, no. But so netball is, a, is an entirely female controlled sport, right? But they can't get in the Olympics because men don't play it. So now they're the sexist for not playing netball. <laughs> they can't get netball in the Olympics until it's a mass participation sport for men as well. But men don't want to play netball. It's like, ladies, do your thing. And now we're sexist for not playing netball. Oh, uh, you can't win. But if he did play centre... You don't want that smoke, mate. You do not want Ooh. that smoke. My behind-the-back pass, my 360 spin pass. Oh, <laughs> Is that allowed in that ball? Maybe you're but, allowed one step, right? So you can catch you can step pivot, one. You can pivot, yeah. yeah. Terry got banned from that ball for slam dunking. That, that's what would happen if men played in that ball. Jeez. Woo. Um... Okay, let's talk about boxing some more. I don't know why, because I've got nothing to contribute. (laughs) One thing I do want to say, though, about boxing. We've had some great moments this year, and I don't want people to leave this thinking, oh, they're just negative about everything. That Wednesday was in July, when we had Inoue Fulton and Crawford versus Spence in space like three days. Yeah. That was probably the best time to be a boxing fan, because everyone on the timeline was positive. Now, after the Spence, uh, after Spence lost, I thought people were needlessly savage towards Errol Spence. And that's what I don't like about boxing. It's like, mate, you, you got maybe number one and number three pound for pound fighting each other. There had to be a loser. Give the man his due. And it turned out number one was sort of quite a distance above. And that's okay. Yeah. It, it just shows we're dealing with an elite level talent during our age. That's okay. Yeah. You know, Crawford is special. We found that out this year. Terence Crawford is special. And, you know, I love the fact that we can now sit and go, I wonder what he would have done against Mayweather. Yeah. I wonder what Prime Crawford would have done against him. And you can have those discussions. Boxing's always in a good place where you can have those discussions. But from, like I said, from a place of purity, you're not trying to throw rocks at each other, for God's sake. Right. I wanted to follow on from what Terry was saying about it. Um, it's sort of not all being negative and down. Like my, I mentioned earlier about Lauren Parker sort of 
her being one of the highlights of the year. One of the other ones was when I was with Terry, actually, um, and my lad, watching Isaac Chamberlain win the British title. Um, it wasn't a fantastic fight by any means. Like, Mikhail Lawal just wasn't, I don't know, maybe wasn't good enough on the night, really, to stick with Isaac. But Isaac sort of has that backstory. He's got that challenge. He's overcome so much in his career um, that you can sort of chart it back to when we spoke with him ahead of the Lawrence Acoli fight, and I called him Lawrence by accident. That was a great start. Um, But sort of we've been with him on that journey all the way through that. The Southern Area fight against Wadi Camacho when he pops his shoulder out, comes through that fight. He goes off, he ends up sort of after the Coley fight, getting a bit of a rough deal out of the UK boxing scene, signs a deal seemingly with Al Heyman, but that never really comes off. Um, sort of as the stuff with um, Matt, what's his name? I can't remember. Um, that was sort of the sponsorship deals where he was going to be getting millions of pounds in. I don't know what happened with any of that, but all of these things, Isaac's a good man. Isaac's a really good man. He deserves success out of the sport. And to see him get his crowning moment with that British title down at York Hall on a show that seemingly sort of 48 hours ago was going to get cancelled when Dan Aziz had to pull out of the Joshua Boazzi fight, for him still to get that moment and Boxer to put it on, fair play to them for actually sort of going through the logistical ball ache of getting over to York Hall, losing money hand over fist, I'm sure. Um but actually going ahead with it and seeing Isaac get his moment, lifting that British title that hopefully provides him further opportunities down the line for big money that he can sort of leave the sport in a few years' time. Because, again, he's one of those names that we were talking about when recording regularly that's heading towards the exit door of the sport now. And I don't mean that sort of rudely, as in he's on the decline. I just mean that the years are ticking on for everyone. Um, And this sport doesn't sort of... It doesn't welcome 40-year-olds. It doesn't allow you to continue into that that space, that age. Um, so I, I was delighted this year. And I actually sat with Terry during that fight and um, a couple of people from Square Mile magazine as well that sort of in touch with via the podcast, essentially. So it's just a really nice culmination of sort of a, a storyline almost to see that that moment and be there. With and Bob. Rob Martin. Let's not forget Rob Martin as well. Rob Martin, yeah. The, the legend that is Rob Martin, you know, the... The Miguel's gym legend that is Rob Martin. Um, yeah, yes. was nice. Joe was really nice about that. About that, like the, the night before, I was walking back from Fitzroy Lodge, and as I've got to the Park Plaza, I've seen Eubanks car parked out the front. So I'm like, let me just go upstairs, see what's going on. So I pop into because the, they've got the bar up there, which overlooks the river. It's really nice, and I see people in there. I think I've told you who was in there. Um, yeah. And we had a really, really good conversation about what Sky are trying to do. Because I was asked a question, are you going to be at the Chamberlain fight? And I was like, nah, what am I going to go there for, man? I'm tired. And then we was like, no, 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 we'll look after you. Just come down. So I just popped down. Hadn't expected to really see anyone there. I was just going to pop in, watch Isaac and go. And then when you go there and... Remember, I think it was you I said, I said, nah, this Eubank, this Eubank Ben thing is nowhere near done based on what, because you know, Hearn was like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're nearly done. I was like, it's nowhere near done, you know, because I'd, I'd heard. But when you when you get to sit there and I've got Martin behind me, we just, I mean, it's almost like podcast on tour. 
it's a far better experience watching it. Although I think Martin just watches me from from behind. He's like, look, look how look how focused he is on the details of the ring. And I'm like, yeah, because because I love like I love Isaac and I've you know loved Isaac for a long time. So that fight meant everything to me. I think I may have shed a tear because when was it? It was about this time a few years ago. He rang me from Miami, and um, was it Rubio? He was training. I think it was Rubio. Had him in this like box room off the gym somewhere, like in a prison cell. He sent me pictures of it. And Isaac's just there and he's like, mate, this is a myth. This is not a good situation. And that's probably the lowest I've heard Isaac. And to see him go from that to where he is now, and you see him now and he's training and he's disciplined. And like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen him that much overweight, never seen him out of shape. And that's one of those good news stories. Like, I always wonder what would happen if Isaac crossed over and became a superstar, would he still be the people's favorite? Because public, the public loves to turn on people they build up. So I always wonder, like if I was a boxer, and so this is the question that I actually haven't asked Isaac, but I really want to. Is he prepared for that point when the hardcores turn on him? Because at some point they will if he gets big enough. Um, I think you've seen it with Chris and smith Before Chris was world champion, he was always the people's favorite. Oh, Chris, good lad, lovely lad, gentleman. Became world champion. Our oh, opportunity smashing, smashing to pieces. Um, uh, it's <laughs> beat. Like you can't win, can you? It's true. It's true. But that was a great night. Like that's one of my highlights as well. Just being with Martin, Oscar, uh, Max was there from Square Mile as well. Seeing Rob down there as well. It was just, it was nice, and to know that. And here's why it's important for me to know that at one point, Dan Aziz, Denzel Bentley and Isaac Chamberlain all held British titles at the same time is important because when those guys are old, they can always sit there as equals and go, yeah, yeah, we all did that. We all won. I always worry when someone gets left behind and they never got a chance to win that British. So credit to them for, for actually managing to do that. And, you know, at one point, yeah, South London had a fair few British titles. I think that's, always a nice story to have in boxing yeah and i go back to that thing i mentioned earlier about sort of if you were to listen to the back catalogue it's not me that talks about the technical aspects of boxing because that's not my forte it's not what i know about as we were driving back that night oscar um my lad was sort of chatting and he said <laughs> he said i don't know if those boxers in the ring if that that guy isaac could hear terry or not but everything terry said that guy did I was like, well, I don't know if he did or didn't sort of listen to Terry. Terry's very vocal, very vocal when you're sitting next to him watching a fight and sort of your call, you know, most people would have been there, I'm sure, very sort of compact. We were sat overlooking the ring. Um, and yeah, so my lad said to me, you know, everything Terry said, that that boxer Isaac did. I said, well, yeah, he knows his shit. Like, and again, I go back to... Terry's in a far better position than most to offer that kind of insight and guidance and that technical aspect and overview. I see loads of Twitter accounts offering sort of reviews of how did AJ's um, how did AJ's style differ under Ben Davison versus. I'm like, I, I don't know who you are. I don't know why I'd listen to what your technical breakdown of yeah, AJ's where's, style where's under your credibility? Ben Davison. Yeah, like, where's your CV that I can look at and say, okay, well, now I'm going to give it a listen. Like, very few of them ever have it. And shout out to Ben Davison, by the way. He's had a cracking year, hasn't he? Again, if we touch on some of those positive things, 
I know you tweeted something the other day, Terry, about sort of he's proving himself as a finisher of boxers, not necessarily sort of taking them from the ground up, but taking a maybe a damaged product and rebuilding it in some way. He's done a brilliant job with that. And I've been a, a doubter of Ben Davison over the years. I'll be the first to admit it, but he's getting results that other people weren't getting from fighters. Yeah, because uh, I've, I've, said, I've said this a lot. You're, you're normally one kind of trainer. You're either a builder or a finisher, right? It's hard to be good at both. And you see that a lot. So you see Virgil Hunter struggle with everyone that's not Andre Ward. Um, because he's not really a finisher, he's a builder, right? But then you see other guys like Freddie Roach struggle to build guys from the ground up, but they're amazing at taking someone and just giving them a new way of looking at things. Do you know what I mean? Don Charles is in that category as well. Like, I don't think Don's getting the credit he deserves either, because what a year he's had. Like, he's resurrected Daniel Dubois. Now, we genuinely wouldn't be disappointed in a Dubois-Joshua fight now. And, you know, Don deserves the credit for that, because... I think he's just marked his lane now as a finisher. Did a great job with Bullione. He's done a good job with a load of people who, who needed that touch. And Ben's, if Ben's lane is to be a finisher of fighters, he's set up for it because he's really analytical and he can, he can find the, what do they call it? Like the alpha. He can find that, 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 that profit, that value in a boxer, which he kind of did with Joshua. But I think his real skill is he knows how to pick opponents. And he knew Otto Wilder likes to fold into his left. Yeah. As a Southpaw, I'm not a fan of that because you're going to get smashed by someone who's got a good right hand and Joshua's got a good right hand. So Wilder was tailor-made to rebuild Joshua and have us talk about AJ as a world-level fighter. Don't be surprised if that was Ben's call because Ben does that sort of thing. Ben knows who you should fight and who you shouldn't fight. So I've got a lot of time for Ben. I've always been of the view that let's not judge him yet. Let's give him a few years and see where he lands. And I think in giving him time, we've realised he's more of a finisher than he is a builder. And that's okay, by the way. And I want to see what he then does when he's up against people or teams that are just as good as his. Can he... Can he find the extra 1% to, to turn a fight in his favour? That's going to be the interesting challenge. And that's enough of the positive stuff. Um, <laughs> like one thing we probably need to touch on, Connor Ben. Like, we recorded about this time last year, our sort of annual, um, annual sort of yearly review, and we were in no further backward situation than we are now around Connor Ben in the UK. In the subsequent time, he's fought once in America and now they've lined up some absolute... I don't know. They've dug up some geezer to fight in some Vegas hotel room. Um, very strange one. Very like They talked about we were going to get the biggest fight, in Hearn's words, the biggest fight in British boxing that could be made right now was going to be Eubank versus Ben. That didn't get made for whatever reason, which we can come on to. But what did get made was Ben versus someone that would have driven box wreck traffic through the roof that day because no one had a clue who he was and still nobody has a clue who he is. So are you telling me there was absolutely no consideration for anything other than Ben versus Eubank or Ben versus someone that I've never heard of? 
There was no middle ground outside of those two options that was considered at all, anywhere in the world. Fuck off. What? So, <laughs> but, but, but we know how Eddie works, right? The show has to be profitable at the gate, never mind the broadcast money. The show has to be profitable at the gate. What he's basically telling you is Conor Ben's not a star. That's what he's telling you. And let me let me do my my Mystic Martin. Ooh. <laughs> I see there being a big fallout between Conor and Eddie. I do. I I I don't think Conor Ben's happy. I think what he was told at the beginning of this whole disaster turned out to be false. Um and he holds Eddie accountable for that. And so that's why you've seen him kind of behaving recklessly because he's like, well, Eddie can't fix this. I have to fix this myself. And he's taking advice of, you know, every which Herbert you can pick right now. And he's probably got it wrong more often than not. But I'd say this. He's blowing away his best years. Yeah. He needs to say, right, what will it take for me to be back in the ring in the UK? If, if he's got a, if, if this is, the, can it be a shadow ban if you're still boxing? I don't know. But he can't commit to boxing outside the UK because people don't know who the hell he is. That's the problem, that by now, this could all have blown over with a shadow ban. It would be resolved by now. 18 months would have been quite a long one from what we know of others that have sort of had different things in their systems. 18 months would have been beyond most. He could easily be back boxing and fighting Eubank at Tottenham Stadium in February if he'd have just got better advice early on. But as it is, we're no further forward. We've still got this NAPD uh, appeal that's sort of ongoing. Quite why it takes so long, I've no idea. Uh, I don't know if there's a back catalogue of other sportsmen that are going through the process that are also in that appeal system you see all the people on sort of twitter going oh, why does it take so long well i'll tell you why i don't know but also <laughs> you don't know like none of us understand the system of the napd i would literally never even heard of the napd until i found out that this had been appealed after ucad oh so, by so, UCAD so, but remember what happens martin like the, these panels don't have employees right they pull people from their respective pots so right i need someone who who understands this situation so they pull down experts and it's about can i get five people around the table that have day jobs and other commitments and you can imagine december's a write-off so you're not going to do anything in december so then january gets manic with availability and stuff so i think it's literally just we can't convene the people we need at the right time at the right scale whatever it is it's just a scheduling issue yeah which like cool and I'd imagine they must need centralised people. There must be some NADP or whatever individuals that are chairing every meeting. Now, they may not be the experts, but they're going to be there representing the NADP. And again, we don't know what the back catalogue of other sports and other athletes that are going through the same process might be. And if it is that December's a write-off, as you say, sort of the scheduling issues, then if Connor's like the third case in line, say, it may not be heard for ages. And again, you go back to that sort of boxing fans live in this very isolated, echo chambery world of like, why hasn't Conor Ben's situation been resolved yet? Well, maybe there's a slightly larger picture, a slightly bigger sort of strategy piece that needs to be considered that frankly doesn't get considered. Um, 
and if he'd have been given better advice, this wouldn't be something we'd be talking about right now. This is strange. But I, I do. Here's what I do love, though. I love the fact that these dopers can't bully the governing bodies anymore. I love that they can't bully the governing bodies anymore. I love the fact that you can't just smash the board with lawyer letters anymore and that the board have got a bit of a backbone when it comes to this sort of thing now. Um, and now you're starting to see all this sort of like crazy machinations. Oh, we use drug-free sport. We use Adams. Um, you know, Dillian had a Portuguese license, so it's not to do with the UK or the board. Like, basically, the cockroaches are scattered now because the old approach doesn't work. So now it's like, well, how can we find ways to evade doping sanctions and so credit to, to UK and the board for actually having a spine in this case and really seeing this one through and my my mystic martin sort of senses around that one are the board will, will see it through now whether they sort of win their case or lose their case i don't know like i don't think any of us do because the 280 page document that was sort of talked about 12 months ago ever still never come to light and that's cool that's connor's sort of thing to deal with um, but I, I genuinely think the board at this point will continue fighting this case from a moral perspective, even if that means, um, you know, sort of taking themselves to the wall with it. I think they are now at a point where they, um, they have to sort of have a sense of doing the right thing to stop others from doing the wrong thing in the future. Yeah, and I hope we... But the thing is, this, the scary thing is, Martin, it's a battle I don't think they can win. Because I'm just hearing that some athletes, and it's not necessarily in boxing, but some athletes are on these designer steroids that they can't detect yet. So people are literally using... They, they're almost trying to create new steroids. Like if I move this molecule from here to here, is it undetectable? Yeah. And I think there are a few going around that might be undetectable. So, and you just, you might have to, one day you might have to just let them go at it. And all right, just, just take what you want. But I'll go back. Uh, there was a name we mentioned earlier. Um, Coogan. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, when it's 28th of July, you know, 28th of July it's not that I've been sort of harbouring this by any means particularly. It's just that I've done a very quick search on when he last tweeted me. 28th of July was the date that it came out that Conor Ben had been cleared or won his case, whatever the, the terminology. Hearn, you know when Hearn did that cringeworthy video where he rang him up and sort of they had that conversation live on the Matchroom PR video. Yeah. It was absolutely fucking atrocious. And they sort of sold it as Ben has been cleared. Ben has got no wrongdoing against his name sort of forgetting the fact well okay well that was the 28th of July that's nearly six months ago and he's still not able to fight in this country on that day and I know it's the 28th of July Coogan tweeted me out of blue just tweeted to me with laughing face laughing face laughing face laughing face laughing face oh dear Martin What's, what time did he send the tweet hmm 6.43 in the evening. That might have been Bacardi Coogan talking again. Not just tweeting it back. <clears throat> it's all okay, pal. I didn't get a response. Um, but... Again, well, he showed you, didn't he? 
<laughs> he showed you. He had you on toast, mate. It's that thing of like, I know he doesn't call himself a journalist, and you know, Coogan, I'm sure he'll come and message me and say, fuck off, Martin, whatever. I can really, literally couldn't care less. Um, I know you sort of don't brand yourself as a journalist or a hard hitting interrogator or Louis Theroux or any of these things, um, but your job is somewhat to hold these people a little bit accountable and ask some awkward questions. So if you're then jumping on Twitter the moment this announcement comes out about Connor's sort of clear to find, jumping on Twitter to tweet me for no other reason than to go, oh dear, Martin, and defend Connor Ben, who at this moment in time is still not cleared to fight in the UK, nearly six months on. So if and when a fighter ends up fucking iced on the canvas not necessarily by Connor Ben, but by someone that we find out is a drugs cheat in years to come, don't give it the crocodile bullshit tears about like, oh no, this is terrible, drugs shouldn't be allowed in the sport, somebody's been hurt by someone taking drugs. When you're also there, jumping on Twitter to have a go at people that just want answers about drugs in sport, just want answers about, okay, why was clomiphene in your system in the first place? And actually, all you're doing is jumping on Twitter to have a go at someone you're just asking those questions that it's your it, it's literally your job to do that same thing but instead you sort of jump on to defend him against people that do ask the questions i just think what fucking world do we live in that would, that's the way it works what i would say is if you don't consider yourself a sort of person if he if in his role if you're not the sort of person that considers yourself uh someone who has to pay a whole people to account doing what you're doing then you have to accept that you're fucking useless and it's not to say you shouldn't have personal relationships so i get like he's known these people for many years and he sort of built relationships with them but if you're so one-sided in that relationship that you're willing to go and white knight them on twitter for their benefit so like i don't know why coogan gives a fuck what my view on connor ben is to jump on twitter and tweet me about it just a really strange thing that sort of stuck in my mind that I thought, yeah, I, I, I knew I knew boxing was a joke when people started tap dancing for Conor Ben. Because, yeah, Tony Bellew, who was like drug cheats, string them up, kick up the sport for life. That was Bellew's stance, wasn't it? And then as more and more matchroom guys are popping, He's like, hey, I don't have all the facts. But he never had all the facts when <laughs> Miller failed. He didn't care about all the facts then. Now, all of a sudden, these guys are like, I can't have an opinion till all the facts are out. Unless it's a non-Brit, then it's just like, string them up, don't let them back in the sport. I, I, well, they, well, they failed two drugs tests, right? Failed two drugs tests. Jerome Miller failed two drugs tests. Their treatment by boxing is complete, complete opposite ends of the scale. Wasn't it when Billy Joe failed and Bellew was like, Nah, he's a, he's a good lad. He wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, right. Okay, so because he's your mate, he wouldn't do it. But Jarrell Miller isn't your mate, so he would, and he should never box again. Bell, Bell, I love that. Bell, Bell used gut feel. Battle-tested versus science. Like, yeah, who, who cares about what science... Well, Undefeated. What scientists say, yeah. Like, Undefeated, pound for pound, great. It's almost like everyone's got an opinion. Just like fucking ass off. And you don't have to be qualified to have a qualified opinion. But, but you know, in this case, Andy, we're just asking for consistency. 
if you want drug cheese to be banned for life, then all drug cheese should be banned for life. Yeah, no, no I, I get it. I absolutely get it. But just people just fucking adapt what they say based on because it's absolutely it was always bullshit. But it, then it comes out. Then eventually, um, what I'm trying to get at is eventually their hypocrisy is highlighted, which highlights how fucking useless their opinion was in the first place. Yeah. You, you talk yourself into a corner a lot of times, and that's that's why I say to people. Don't do too many IFL interviews. You see, like, these numbnuts like Sam Jones. You know, every Sunday they say something. And then the thing is, the day after, the whole boxing landscape shifts. Now they've got to come and backpedal. Or, you know, is it, or it's like, hold on, hold on. I can't do the call today. I have to I have to call the 971 crew and see what I can say or what I can do. I need to touch on that 971 crew before we finish. Okay. And I realise, like, lots of people still are nervous around sort of... Um, covering some of this but i don't know if anyone has listened to the that financial times podcast series new narcos um no it's brilliant absolutely brilliant eight episodes like half hour each um and it touches upon it's basically seven episodes about the kinahan cartel and it's all about how money laundering occurs how the case was built up against them um bearing in mind these are people that the likes of Sonny Edwards recently came out and did an interview saying, prior to his Ban Rodriguez fight, um, one of the interviews said about, oh, you know, I didn't really know anything about him when I was sort of uh, pushing my case for Kinahan and it was just somebody who looked after me and I didn't know who he was. Mm, not having it, personally, in that sort of he was almost goading people when some of this stuff came out about the sanctions and such like, or just prior to that, everything was known about what was accused against Daniel Kinahan. I'm not saying it's factual, because I don't know. Um, but what was accused, and then Sonny would put up a photo, the one that said no ch- or no drug, no champion or something, him and Kinahan sort of arm in arm next to one another to goad people. Sort of Sam Jones would do all the interviews about Kinahan's a great person, that he's giving me great advice, all that stuff. All those tweets have been deleted. Everybody has wiped the slate. Again, morals out the window fuck them off like skills challenge entertainment geezer who at one point described daniel kinahan as like a brother to me then went on record in another interview saying uh well daniel doesn't work with skills challenge entertainment like we have nothing to do with him i have nothing to do with him personally that was like a year after he'd said he was literally like a brother to him like morals out the window Absolutely out of window. But that podcast series is fascinating. It touches on some of the boxing pieces, not in depth. There's a lot of other stuff of where they've sort of been accused of laundering money and how money is laundered more generally. Is it um, hot money, Martin? Yes, New Narcos. Right. Um, it's a series two. And it made me think, like, okay, if we, if we accept that Daniel Kinahan does not run boxing anymore, okay? I don't necessarily believe it, but if we accept that for the the cases of this conversation, how many people in the sport of boxing are compromised because of their backdated involvement with the Kinahan cartel? Now, I don't know everything about mob bosses throughout history, but what I do know and what I'm sort of aware enough about sort of gangs that have run cultures is that you can't just go, nah, I'm not involved with you anymore, mate. 
Like you can't, it's not up to you if you want to walk away from it. It's up to them if you are allowed to walk away from it. So there are lots of people involved in boxing that have been purported to and have been proven to being very close to the Kinahan cartel, Daniel Kinahan, etc., that are still involved in boxing. So A, what influence is there still going on in the background for those people? B, um, I have serious questions. When they talk about um, the money laundering, there's a case going on with Jojo Diaz out in America right now where the money, the the, the lawyer who's dealing for um, for the other manager, I can't remember the other manager's name, but the lawyer who's dealing for him on his behalf talks about boxers were getting large sums of money paid into their accounts and then large sums of money taken out of their accounts. They weren't being charged management fees. And if any of their managers from the past tried to sort of uh, challenge whether or not the contracts were legit, they just got tied up in litigation, like highly expensive lawyers rings a bell about certain high-profile cases that went through the courts, maybe in Ireland, not that long back. Um, But what that tells me is that if that was going on on a widespread basis, there is money that has passed through the British Boxing Board of Control that has been laundered. I think that's almost without question. It gets to the point of like, if that has gone on on such a wide scale basis to boxers in the UK that have to pay board taxes, have to pay for their licenses, I would have serious questions about there must be money that has passed through the books of the British Boxing Board that is laundered money. Now, what are the board going to do about that in light of the accusations that have come out about how the money has been laundered and where it's been laundered? and the boxers' involvements in this, how as a governing body can you allow yourself to be in a position where your accounts have been propped up by money that is essentially illegal? And what influence does that have on people within the sport that have taken some of that money and passed that money on? And what might be known about them by others that are now allegedly outside of the sport but might have a vested interest in some of the outcomes? We're seeing a lot of shows in Belfast. Just saying. We have seen shows in Belfast with many people that were managed by MTK back in the day. Yeah. Strange, that. Strange that it will be Mr. Hearn doing these shows. And there are a lot of fighters that get signed to certain promotional bodies that are managed by people that were heavily linked to MTK back in the day. Mm. I'm not saying that that's a direct influence. I'm just I'm raising these questions more generally on the back of the Financial Times podcast and sort of how they brought to light how some of this worked. Almost as if someone cut the head of the monster and two or three heads grew in its place. Yeah, and maybe they sit ringside at certain shows or stand in the ring with certain fighters after their shows. Just saying, <laughs> might might happen every now and then. I, I'm just, but you know, I've said this for a while. I I, I think. The biggest names in British boxing are controlled out of the 971. Both of them. And that's why you haven't seen them fight each other, because someone hasn't determined his time yet. But they're both controlled. Because you can't <clears throat> you can't move around the way that they do without a certain level of protection. Right? You can't. There are too many hungry wolves in this country who wouldn't mind 
taking a few quid off them. So you need you need heavyweight protection when you have a certain level of wealth and you want to live in the area where you grew up. You need a certain amount of protection. And that comes with expectations and requirements. So there are only a handful of people that can offer you that. And with don't that wealth, you could buy some properties and, I don't know, MTK properties, perhaps. <laughs> you know, money goes in, money comes out. I'm just, so, uh, again, I'm just... <laughs> maybe, um, maybe I lend someone money to go buy some properties. When they have their fight and the purse comes in, they pay me back. Suddenly that money looks spotless, almost as if I use Daz on it. <laughs> but yeah, no, but, I, but, I, but, but let me be very, very clear. And I've, I've had this line from day one. Every one of those people that drank from the 971 fountain, filled your bellies on that. Yeah, we don't want to hear about you ratting. We don't want to hear about you snitching. We don't want to hear you revising and rewriting history. Own it. We all know who you are. Own it. If they've co-invested in your restaurant or your property empire, own it. Yeah. When it comes crashing down, own it. I don't want to hear people be like, oh, yeah, I didn't know a thing about it. Come on. I completely agree. When the sanctions start ripping through the sport, which I genuinely fucking hope they do, from the media to the management to the boxers to everybody who took money knowingly from places that they shouldn't be taking money from, I hope those sanctions rip the fucking sport apart. Because to me, it's not dissimilar to PEDs. You might stop taking PEDs, but you're still getting that benefit down the line that others that never took it don't get. And so you might have built yourself into a position that you don't deserve because of things that you shouldn't have been taking from. Um, and so I, I genuinely hope those that sort of, as you say, drank from that fountain, when everything comes in, I genuinely hope they get fucking ripped apart. And I'll tell you who I, I tell you who I rate in all of this. I rate the OG DK. I rate Daniel. You know why? Because he saw boxing. He went, look at these greedy, sad fuckers. Look at them. spirited <laughs> little bitches. Yeah, I'm going to use them to my advantage. I'm like, fair play. You found some suckers and they did your work for you. Fair play to you for being smart enough to see that. But for everyone else, I'm like, hey. you know, when you're riding on the back of a tiger, your best scenario is that you don't fall off. Yeah. And I just think if they're all calling Turkey, his excellency, what are they calling DK? Like Godfather. Yeah. Like that, that man will get some serious love from all those people. And like you, like Daniel Kinahan, he made some of the best fights in boxing over the years. Um, the sport is now in such a shambles. Bring him back, whatever. Like, <laughs> I ain't give a fuck now. I get like that sometimes. I'm like, I miss MTK. Yeah, yeah. Like, just uh, let him have a little bit of boxing. And hey, for anyone asking, listen, I, I deny that I ever commentated on any of their shows, okay? I don't want any sanctions on me. We never got paid. We never got paid. Oh, oh you guys didn't get paid? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> they paid you £400,000 and you had to give it back in six months. It's odd. Yeah. I've got to keep the interest, though. <laughs> That's why I was wearing that mask before. Right. Are we done? Till next year. Yeah. yeah.
It's been Quite a pleasure, well. gentlemen. It has been a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Hey, and to anyone listening, there's a happy new year and all that good stuff as well. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Can we just have a quick... Do you think Fury... I'm not going to ask you who's going to win because that's, that's pretty tired. Is it going to happen? Fury, Fury Usyk? Yeah. Yeah. I think it will happen. Absolutely. Okay. When, yeah. when the Saudis put money down, things happen. And again, I sort of think there are enough people that are insistent it happens. Because it's fucking happen. All right. All right. Okay, gentlemen. Well, all right, guys. it's been a pleasure. Me. It's been a pleasure as always. You all take care. Cheers, mate. What's the Saudi Arabian version of Daniel Kinahan? Is it like uh, Daniel Kinahan? <laughs> His Excellency Daniel Kinahan. I want to see Kinahan rock up in one of those white robes and yeah. just <laughs> go completely incognito. <laughs> Be the bollocks. Well, I reckon he does. Joe, I reckon he does that. Uh, I reckon he's probably at every show. Yeah. Or has That's like cool. has the robes like we're talking about, but. I bet he was loving. I bet he was loving, wasn't he? He just walked around, just masked up.